1 Samuel, chapter number 14, verse 24 through verse 30. And I also have a second scripture. We're going to kind of piggyback on Pastor, what he was talking about last week on greater things. And um, just so we want to definitely just read that scripture from John 14, 12. And then we'll also read 1 Samuel 14, 24 through 30. Uh, Pastor wanted me to remind you that um, we, this month we we're doing the 30 for 30 challenge. 30 minutes a day in the Word or in prayer for 30 days. So they have these out here. These are kind of nice. You want to get them from version? you can get them, go down and download that as well. It's kind of great. It's kind of cool. It's got little devotions for each day of the month. And even though we're so many days, who cares? Pick it up. Jump on board. Get in with it and go with it. And maybe you can pick it up. If you want to do a full 30, go 30 from today. Amen. And we'll make it a, a, a great time there. So I want to read John 14 and 12. I'm reading from the NIV version. And uh, it goes like this. Verily or very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater than these because I am going to the Father. Now, 1 Samuel 14, 24 through 30 says, Now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. And when they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, yet not one put his hand to his mouth, because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath, so he reached out the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey. How much better would it have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies? Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? So this morning I want to just minister you on the topic of greater expectations for the year. Greater expectations. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the great people of God. I ask you to bless, Lord, what you've laid in our heart. Lord God, let it come out the way you desire it to. Help me not to get in the way of your words. Be glorified in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Quick note before I jump into this is we do start life groups tonight. So if you want to sign up out there on the table, I can't get go on without mentioning that. You can uh, sign up at the tables there, and uh, we'll get going. We admit to start last week, but we all know what happened. <laughs> so it's all great. Greater expectations. Um, in this series that Pastor's doing on greater, I know that he's going to speak to us more about greater things ahead of us. But I think one of the things that tying into the narrative that, we've been re- that we'll be talking about in 1 Samuel that really leaps out at me in the words of Christ is, is that it's not just what Jesus said, But it's the idea that Jesus said these things to people who had already messed up. People had already showed they could get kind of full of themselves. People had already showed that they missed the point of a lot of the things he was trying to do. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He didn't say, you know what, man, I don't like your attitude, so guess what? You're out. I'm going to find a whole new set of people, and I'm going to start from scratch because you 12, I must have just, I don't believe that I missed God because I'm Jesus, but you know what? I'm just tired of you. No, what we see Jesus is showing not only great patience with the disciples, but he sees great potential in them to the point that he sees beyond what they're doing and how they're acting and thinking and behaving right now, and he sees into what he is creating them to be, and he says, I got news for you guys. Right now, Philip, you're asking, show us the Father, but let me tell you what's going to happen. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, 
That word whoever kind of opens the back door for you and me this morning. Will do the works I have been doing. Halt, man, that's huge right there. If I could do and act and behave and be like Jesus, man, I would be doing pretty good. I could look back on my life and say, man, life's been really good. If I, if I can look at my life and say, man, Christ was seen in me and Jesus was working through me. But he goes further. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. God intends for us to go beyond what we think is absolutely possible. Now that can kind of sound real hyped up, and that can sound real phony, to be honest with you. Really, does God want us to do greater things than seeing the healings that Jesus did? Well, you got to see, when you talk about volume, and you talk about the fact that he has multiplied himself in our lives, and how that God, through your words, suddenly is using you to make an impact in his kingdom. You're not building just something for yourself. Now you're building the kingdom of God. Man, that is an incredible thought to know that Jesus is saying, I didn't just call you to do good things. I called you to do greater things. I didn't call you just to do nice things. I called you to do to greater things. So now let's just kind of go backwards, rewind, and re go backward in time and go to 1 Samuel. And we're going to talk about two people in this passage that are, that are mentioned. There's a buildup to this passage. One is named Saul. And the other is named Jonathan, who would be, be the son of King Saul. Now, Saul is one of those guys, he started with epic expectations. Matter of fact, it says in the ninth chapter of 1 Samuel that he was an impressive young man. What that meant, I don't know. Whether that meant he had great character, whether it meant he was strong, I don't know what it meant. But I know the scripture says he was an impressive guy. And it says that, matter of fact, it says he didn't have an equal and it even went on to say that he was great, one of the greatest men of that time. He was head and shoulders of everybody else. I don't know if he played basketball. I don't know if they, they probably had a version of that back then. I don't, I don't know what it was. But one thing that Saul had was that, that God, God's attention was not his height or his impressive qualities with people or even the fact that he appeared unequal in his abilities. It was, uh, it was something called humility. Saul had something about him that when he looked, when he presented himself, he never came off as trying to intimidate. He never came off as trying to assert his unequalness. He never came across in this way. So God had his eye on him to pick a king in the place of the, uh, in the place for being the first king of Israel. Because what had happened is the people decided they wanted a king instead of God just ruling it that way. They wanted something to hang on to. God said, all right, I'm going to give you a king. But he chose a good man in Saul. Man, there were all kinds of things that happened in Saul's journey, man. Let me tell you something. If you want to say, man, God, if you're real, you know, just let this, you know, Toyota fall out of the sky. It, it's not quite like that, but it almost felt like that when you're reading this. It's like, literally, this guy had such favor, and God was putting his fingerprint, this is the guy I want to do my work. That as Saul went, he went along and met a prophet named Samuel, he told him what was in his heart. And as he told him what was in his heart, after they spent a day or so together, he said, look, this is what's going to happen to you. And he started telling him exactly how his day was going to unfold. Now, there are some people would love to know how their day is going to unfold. But God wasn't trying to give him some kind of foreknowledge just for the sake of knowledge. I got nothing better to do than to let you know what's going to happen today. But he was letting Saul know, I'm with you. I'm for you. I've got great expectations for your life. Can I say and pause right here and say this? God has great expectations for our lives. They're not expectations meant to dwarf us or meant, or meant to uh, cause us to shrink back from him. But they're expectations that create great curiosity in our life, that create great passion in our life, saying, is that really possible? And as you reach for it and believe God, suddenly what happens to you is what happened to Saul. It says that as he turned to walk away from Samuel, he was changed into a different man. 
Man, that's incredible. Now, how, how do you go from being this kind of person that has already got these amazing qualities to a different man? Well, his heart now was bent and focused on serving God. And Saul did some incredible exploits that God you would use him in in helping deliver his people. But what I want to get to is this, is there came a day when Saul was doing pretty good. And he started getting all these guys to come around him. I don't know if he attracted jocks to himself or what happened, but it literally, scriptures would say, when he saw a valiant man, he put him in his army. So these guys were following Saul. There was something about, maybe it was his appearance, even though he was a humble man, maybe there was something about his, his qualities that attracted them, but they came, okay? So he started building this army. And suddenly one day, as he's building this army, you can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 13, it says that, He's with his son Jonathan, and his son Jonathan goes out and kicks up and picks a fight with some Philistines. Now, the reason why this is interesting is God had told Saul that he, one of the reasons he had raised him up was he wanted him to defeat the people's enemies, the Lord's enemies, being Philist the Philistia. They were a constant sore to the Israelites. So this was God's will for him to engage these guys. It was absolutely without a question. But you see, his son had to start it. And what we see off in the life of Saul, is even though he had many qualities and many good epic things going his way, he struggled to take initiative. He struggled to take the first step when it came to his expectations. So let me just kind of go over this real quick. There's different types of expectations we can look at this morning. First of all, there's unmet expectations. We deal with that all the time, right? There's somebody you thought was going to come through. There's something you thought was going to come open for you. You started rolling the wheels that way, and things just didn't turn out. It was an unmet expectation. Unfortunately, those kind of things leave us soured and sometimes looking for somebody to blame when our expectations aren't met. Then there's unrealized expectations. They're the kind that leave us disappointed and disillusioned. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I thought, that's, I thought for sure that that was going to work out. Then there are unmade expectations, which is a guarantee that neither success or failure is going to happen because nothing is, you're doing nothing. There's no action moving in any direction. There's uninspired expectations, and those have no urgency. Ah, I need to lose weight this year. I need to get a gym. I need to get in the gym. Oh, I need to become a better dad. Those aren't, those aren't real expectations. That's just thinking out loud. Because uninspired expectations usually have no urgency. There's no, there's no action taken to correct or to make a change in your current status or behavior when you have uninspired expectations. Then there's unmis unmistakable expectations. They're the things that give us something to reach for. So what we see in Saul in this chapter 13 is this. His expectation, he went from expectation to assumption. He made, somehow, he slipped from expecting great things and looking forward to now he just started to assume it was all going to just work out. How do you know that, Tim? Well, when his son Jonathan attacked the Philistines, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, what happened was that Saul sent out a message throughout the land. Man, you know what? The Philistines think that we're obnoxious, so we're going to go to war. We're going to attack these guys. So he just jumps into a fight. There's no real planning involved. There's no real talking about it. We're just going to go for it. Great t-shirt, bad idea. All right? So he decides that I'm just going to go for it. So he just jumps out there in the middle of this fight, kind of like a fight I had in, in a first grade with some kid. My cousin, she was a grade older than me, and she came and told me, she said, I need you to go beat this kid up because he had said something mean to me. I was, a, I was a, you know, kind of an impressionable kid. I thought, well, my cousin wants me to beat somebody up. I'm going to go beat him up. So I just took off and started fighting. And for the thing is, this kid was much bigger than I was. 
So most of that fight consisted of after I punched him a few times, he just kind of put his hand out and held me there. And I was like, don't touch my cousin again. He was like, you need to go. <laughs> you see, Saul thought, I assume, hey, God's, you know, I'm, God, I'm the king. You know, everything is supposed to be this way. So he went out on assumption. Man, when you slip from expectations whose faith is stationed and dependent on God to assumptions, which means, ah, it ought to happen, then suddenly you're going to find yourself in a very tough set of circumstances and situations. That's when we often find ourselves in debt because we thought that this thing should pay off for us. Or we find ourselves down the road and we thought that guy was going to become a better guy than we ended up being. Or the girl was going to be a better girl. Or somewhere, you know, and I won't say no more. You might be sitting next to him this morning. But somehow we get these expectations and we slip into assumption. And that's what had it happened with Saul. He had a platform for his expectations. He was called to be a king. Shouldn't he absolutely have confidence that God was going to work this out? Well, God was for him. That didn't change. But the way he went about it, he really put himself in a tough spot. What happened was, is when they attacked, then suddenly the army of the Philistines arose up, and now all of a sudden they are in a mess because they are outnumbered. They are, they are in a bad situation where they're having to run and hide. So you see, Saul is gone from what he hopes is going to happen and what he thought was supposed to happen to this shouldn't be happening. Have you ever been there? I hope this happens, so I'm going to do this. You know, this should happen. It's supposed to happen, but this shouldn't be happening. And you see, he got past the roadblocks that were there for him, but he went out with assumption and presumptuously and found himself in a very difficult place. He found himself afraid. You know, when we get out ahead of God, not ahead of God, I don't know that you can ever get really ahead of God, but we understand God's timing. But Saul was a man, at this point, he was starting to not really, he was go first, ask questions later. Shoot first, ask questions later. Move forward and think about what you're going to do on the way instead of looking at it for what it could be. But he became afraid. He began to hide. The men began to, set, to, to, begin to, to dissemble and began to hide in, in the rocks and in caves. And they even crossed the river. How, what an embarrassing situation. This doesn't look like the epic expectation of being a great conquering king. He had won a battle before. This wasn't his first rodeo, so to speak. But maybe he got a little bit full of himself along the way. I don't know. But whatever had happened, he found himself in the situation. And it talks about how they were afraid. They were scared. And you know, there's nothing like being with someone who's scared acting like they're not afraid, right? <laughs> you know, are you going to be okay? The person you're looking to do not be afraid, and they are afraid. Saul was scared. So what does he do? He's standing there saying, you know, I know what we'll do. We're going to wait for Samuel, the prophet. He's going to show up. He's going to do the sacrifice. He's going to call and pray. We're going to get all the prayer warriors. And all of a sudden, you know, this thing's going to turn around, and we're going to be on our way to victory, and this, this enemy's going to be on the run, and we're going to be out there, you know what, with the, the queen song, We Are the Champions. We're going to have a great day. It's going to be from a bad day to a great day. But while he was waiting on Samuel, he got tired of waiting. Now, I want you to notice the accumulation of mistakes. When we start going down assumption, it's one thing to assume. It's another thing to keep going down the road of assumption. He keeps going down that road. And after he waits and waits for Samuel, Samuel doesn't show up for the whole seven days. He was a spiritual leader in Israel. And when he shows up, finally, before he shows up, Saul says, forget this. I've got to do something. Oh, man, I've been there. I've got to do something. 
What am I going to do? I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to do something and I'm going to fix this situation because you know what it is? God wants me to do it. Now, let me tell you something this. It was not action that got Saul in trouble. Do not confuse that. It was not action. It was not him doing his part. It's when he tried to do God's part. You see, God expects us to act in faith. God expects us to take steps of faith and do something, do what we are able to do in a situation. But it's when we start trying to take it all into our hands and do God's part, that's when we get in trouble. That's where trouble brews, is when we're trying to do what only God can do, and we, that inner a, a person kicks in us. And I believe that gene is in almost just about everybody, because at one point, we get to that point where I've got to fix it, I've got to do something. And me and Dieter, and a few years back, oh, a few years, been a while back, I wish I could forget it, but, but um, we went through a tough time where I entered in from that expectation zone into that assumption zone. And let me tell you something, it was painful, and now painfully hilarious. And I look back and I can laugh my heart out, but let me tell you, it was embarrassing at the time. It was humiliating. My wife and I were itinerating ministers, and I got the bright idea. We were hitting critical mass with our finances. We either needed to get a place, an apartment, or we needed to make a decision. And I decided in my great young wisdom that one of the things we needed to do was is we needed to buy a motorhome. We need to buy a motorhome because we need to get on the road and we need to be available so that we're not locked down in one location so we can go ministering around to different places and, and make an impact for the kingdom. My intention was good. I had a great expectation. Oh, this is, this is going to work out, right? Well, I started looking at this one motorhome, and it was an older one, but it had low mileage, red alert. <laughs> and I was watching this thing, and I thought, man, this is awesome. It's 35 feet long. It's got everything you need in it. Man, we could, we could really go and style down the road in this thing. And I just got it in my head, this is what I need to do. So I had people breathing down my neck, are you going to get an apartment or what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to get this motorhome, man. I'm going to go for it. We're going to get this. We're going to live on the road. We're going we're to go do this. I had dreams of traveling. I had dreams of doing things for God. And so I, I got this, this motorhome, and man, we took it, and it had been sitting there some time. And uh, we went out, and I got it serviced. Man, I got it. First thing I did, it just needs a good service job. Once it's oiled and lubed up real good, it's going to be good to go. And my father-in-law helped me get the, the generator going. The generator was working. We had power. We, and we had just fill it up with gasoline. Everything looked good. Man, we'll have heat. Everything's going to work great. Man, I head down the road on I-5 Freeway in California, and I'm heading down to Bakersfield, California. At that time, we lived about an hour and a half uh, north of there. And I was going down the road, and all of a sudden, I can remember... My wife told me later, I thought it was raining. And what had happened was, is my radiator had blown, and the water was flying all behind the motorhome, hit her in the windshield, and she thought it was raining. It was the motorhome radiator. It just totally blew up. And, uh, and I'm driving down the road, and it was like watching, the, I was like in the, in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. I'm totally driving this motorhome, and steam comes out, and it's filling this whole, the whole front cabin full of steam. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I pull over to the side, and now we got it this time, this is how long ago, Emily was like, I think just a handful of months old. And so we're on the side of the road on I-5, and here is my, my epic expectation on the side of the freeway. You know, this is my ticket to doing what God's called me to do. And man, here I am, and I'm, I'm embarrassed. We call Dieter's brother up, we go back and forth, and we have to get this thing towed, and I end up having it in a, in a hotel, or a Motel 6. Man, do I need to say any more? Do we, in Motel 6, doing... God's work. Now, here's the thing that cracks me up, man, is I was telling my kids, look at what God did. Look at this miracle that God provided, that we have a motor home, 
that we can live in while we're going around ministering. <laughs> and, and we're going around. Man, I tell you something. I built it up. Now, we know how to build up our mistakes, don't we? We know how to put paint and cover and make things sound really fun about our mistakes and our assumptions. We know how to make them sound like miracles. But my friend, pretty soon your miracle is going to be going down I-5 with steam coming out of the cockpit. Man, I was absolutely miserable. That thing was an albatross. I could not do anything. We took it back. It took, I thank goodness the insurance reimbursed us, but it was $300 to even tow it. We get it back, and we get it worked on, and we get it going again. And I think, you know what, it's okay. You know, try to stay positive, right? Because that's just my nature, who I am. I can see Saul right now trying to stay positive while he's scared out of his wits. You know, in the middle, trying to let these guys know, it's okay, I'm here. Oh, God, you know. I, I, I could just hear that coming through him. Well, we got this motorhome again. That story doesn't stop there, but I'll just elaborate shortly here. And I remember the next pastor said, come out. We just had a, almost a deluge rain. And um, he said, come out and park the motorhome by the side of the church. And when you park it there, you know, just plug up and we'll be good. We were going to be there for a week. And so, I, so I pull out, man, and I take off. But my motorhome is functional now, and I pull up on a Sunday morning. I'm not supposed to be there that morning, and he told me to move in the back, and I thought, I looked at that lawn, and I thought, if I drive out on that lawn, this thing is going to sink right in that lawn. So I just parked it off to the, to the back of the parking lot, and the pastor wasn't very happy with me that day. He told me, why didn't you come out where I told you to park out? I want to apologize. Let me tell you why I didn't do that. I told him, go on out there. He told me, at your command, sir. I took off and drove, and I remember as I turned that motorhome around, I sank into the earth. <laughs> we were stuck there for a while, and every day it getting lower and lower and lower and lower to the ground. So finally he got me a work truck, about a one-ton truck, and he decided to get that truck to hook us up and jerk us out. And I said, Pastor, if I floor, he said, floor it. I said, if I floor this, you're not going to have a lawn no more. I just want you to know that. Heads up, okay? He said, I said Florida. All right, we'll do what you want us to do. So sure enough, we just start plowing that thing. Man, that thing is going all over that lawn. And that whole beautiful greenback lot was absolutely destroyed. So I did the best thing I could do is got a shovel and acted like I cared. <laughs> and I just started trying to fill out. I don't think it's going to work, Pastor, you know? You just try to shovel and do the best job that you can and make it look as, as nice as you can. I didn't put a thousand miles on that thing, and it cost me more heartache, more headache, more trouble. I had a vision of that thing going downhill on fire. <laughs> and I would not stop it, and I wouldn't call the fire department. I'd just let it burn. You know what? Our assumptions can turn into incredible issues and problems in our life. But you see, there was another guy who was there, and he left the company. And as he left the company, he was not even missed, and his name was Jonathan. Matter of fact, it says they didn't even know that he left when he left. And what I like about Jonathan's character is, is that he's a guy who went from expectation to actualization. He actually had good thoughts and good steps and a good plan. Now, what he did is he went out on his own, and he went... As he went out on his own to look for a, a way to figure out what they were going to do while everybody was huddled up and afraid and Samuel had just been, or Saul had just been told by Samuel that your kingdom's not going to endure, man. You didn't, you didn't wait. 
You, God had victory for you, and you couldn't wait. If you'd have just waited, this would have been an epic situation for you. God would have done something. Now, I thank God we have a gracious Heavenly Father in our New Testament. God was gracious then, but he has shown us even more grace in Christ now. But nevertheless, he showed Saul grace. Don't mistake the harsh punishment against Saul or indictment against Saul that God wasn't gracious. No, when you have seen prophetic signs and you have prophesied under the Spirit of God supernaturally, not in groupthink, but the Spirit of God jerked you up and started speaking God's word through you, and God started doing things through Saul, and you've had those experiences, and you don't have the, the, the sense to wait after that. Let me tell you, if you don't have that and you're trying to make your way, let me tell you, there's a lot more compassion rolls your way. But it's when we get hard-headed that we get into trouble. But Jonathan, he had a different approach. He got out of the company of people who were afraid and who were trying to take God control, or man control, and he wanted to get in a situation back in balance. Okay, listen, if we sit here, nothing's going to change. If we keep sitting out here, nothing's going to improve. But what can I do? I can get up, and I can go take a look. So he takes his armor bearer, and he goes out about the day. And as he heads out there, there's some things we see that are different about him. I love it. It says at the beginning of 14 chapter, it says, one day, Jonathan decided this. Let me tell you, one day is all it takes for something to change. One day, he was sitting out there with the rest of them scaredy cats. But one day, he decided to move. He moved out of the scared camp, and he moved over into the possibility camp. It was a small one. It was him and his armor bearer. Just two people. Can I encourage you this morning? You don't, owe, you don't, may not, you don't always need a group. But what you do need is, is you just need one to agree with you sometimes. Somebody who just says, hey, you know what? That sounds good to me. Let's believe God for that. Let's believe God is going to change. I'll pray with you. And I don't mean I'll pray for you. See you later out the door next week. I'll pray for you again. How's that going? No, but pray for you. You know what, man? I'll, I'm, I'm with you on this. You see, Jonathan showed a different type of spirit. His expectation would begin to become actualization because his actions, he decided, weren't going to be based on waiting for something to happen that wasn't going to happen on its own. Now listen, the Scripture tells us to wait on the Lord, but there's a time to wait on God, and there's a, there's a word in the, in the Scriptures, there's one word that's used that talks about actively waiting. What does that mean? You're waiting on God. You're not trying to do God's part, but you are going to do your part. And if your part is standing on scriptures that you've heard 100,000 times growing up until it gets ingrained in the fabric of your inner man and you actually believe it more than you're saying it, and when it gets beyond the veil of your flesh and your fears and into your heart to where, yes, I'm not, it's not that I'm not scared, but my faith is greater than my fear now, now suddenly you're ready to do something. Man, this is an incredible time when Jonathan stands up. Now, I love this. Number one, he kept different company than Saul. Do you have company that empathizes all the time? We need empathizers. I'm a, I'm a decent empathizer. But if all I do is empathize, then we're going to be empathizing until Jesus comes. Amen? He didn't say, go ye out all the world and feel sorry for one another. Go into all ye world and lick one another's wounds till I come. No, but he's there to heal. He's there to mend. He's there to repair and to reclaim those areas in your life. But he's also there to encourage us to take action when it looks sometimes ridiculous, but it's based on something solid. And that is, he knew this, God is for us winning this battle. God wants us to overcome these jokers. God is in us doing this. So why isn't it happening? I tell you what, I need to get with somebody who's going to agree with me. 
And if the crowd is saying it can't be done and they're living in fear and they're living in, a, in the scared zone, my friend, you need to get out of the scared zone and get into the faith zone. You need to get out of the scared group. It doesn't mean you won't have fear. It means you need to get out of there and you need to get into those who have confidence. And even positive talk after a while can become endless. Positive is good, but positive is alone. It's not faith. Positive is saying we're not going to let the negative defeat us, but faith says let's stand up and trust what God has said, and we can bank on it, we can anchor our lives, and have good uh, standing ground on what God has willed for us to do. For what God has said for us to do is what he willed for us to do. Man, if you got what God's will for you to do, man, come on. Let's roll. Amen. So what happened is, Jonathan, he kept different company. Next thing was, is he acted differently than Saul. He was acting decisively. He looked back, and you know what? He, he didn't see hindrances before him. He just saw a challenge before him. Instead of seeing this mighty army before him that met, made it impossible for them to overcome, he saw a challenge. It is a challenge, by the way. God never said that him intervening meant there would be no challenge. There will be sweat. There will be tears at times. But amen, we will overcome. Overcome means there's something coming. Amen? And we need to get over it. Amen? That doesn't mean get over it, be flipping. It means we can overcome it through Jesus Christ. So we see an incredible thing in the life of Jonathan. He thought he saw his actions as with God. Now, I love this. He told his servant, he goes, look, let's go up here. These guys are just standing. They're not doing nothing just like we're doing nothing. Let's, let's stir it up. I like him. I like, he's like William Wallace. I'm going to pick a fight. Yeah, I love it. He heads out. What's he do? He goes up and says, let's go up there and let's ask these guys. Hey, you know, we'll show ourselves. And if they say, hey, stay there, then we know, let's just, let's rethink this. It's not right. I love this. He tests. He tests what it is he's supposed to do. That doesn't mean he went off half cocked. He tested it. But he, he said, if, if they say come up, then we're going we're to go. Now, I want you to think about this now. So he says, if they tell us stay, we'll stay. If they tell us come up, we'll, we know God's, God's going to handle this. So they go out, and the Philistines say, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their caves. And they start making fun of them. They say, hey, come up here. We'll teach you a lesson. You know what Jonathan does here is, oh, my gosh, we're going to get beat down. Let's just, let's just back away. This was a bad idea. He, says, he turns to his guy and says, God's given this. This is ours. Oh, man, I love the Jonathans of Scripture, man. Let's go for this. Now, you see, you say, well, that's one thing. You know, he's young and he's impulsive. No, Scripture does not paint this narrative of Jonathan as impulsive, but as trusting. He said, we will know God has delivered our enemies into our hands. Woo! And man, when you get to a, with somebody connected faith with you, like his armor bearer that said, hey, I'm with you heart and soul. Oh, man, come on. Let's go. That sounds like gladiator. Let's roll. Let's go. Come on. Let's get out there. Let's, let's do this. And you know what? He starts climbing. The scripture says this, that they climbed up. They didn't go full run all their men. There was just, I don't know if it was a small band of 20-something. I don't know. But I know when they got to the top, here's where things get absolutely amazing. And this is where God's part comes in. He dared to believe that God was with him instead of waiting for something to happen. And as he stepped into this by faith, his expectation was God is going to cause victory. As he got to the top, the scripture says that only two people were armed with a, with a sword and with a spear in the whole army, and that was Saul and Jonathan. And the reason was is because the Philistines owned the market on the iron and on the steel and, and the, the, the materials to make weapons, and therefore they, they fought with, with mattocks and they fought with like pitchforks and everything else, but only Saul and Jonathan had. So can you picture... 
Here's Jonathan going through, attacking in faith, and as he's cutting them guys down, in his mind he's cutting down, the guy behind him is just stabbing him with a fork. Man, I'll tell you what, that's just an awesome image to me, that Jonathan is attacking the adversaries and the enemies of God with a sword, and he's cutting them down. He's a great warrior, but he's still outnumbered. But because he dared to do something, the guy behind him is finishing them off with a fork. Let me tell you, if you just got a fork, get, to, get busy believing God. If you just got to go home, you know, I'm not saying you need one, put that fork up and say, God, I've come to a point, if you just give me a fork, You've heard it, attack hell with a squirt gun. Amen. Attack the enemies of your soul, being willing to step out behind the Lord who has won your battles. Jonathan is a type of Christ in this story as well. And as he wears through, panic created this. Now, you've got to understand how things were. How panic had happened is any way different. I doubt they had the uniforms like we have today. So who's who and what became confused. People began killing one another off. It was, an, it was pandemonium. And as Saul is sitting back in his safe zone, by the way, He became so safe that he was out of the scene. He looked out and he said, who left the camp? He knew immediately somebody was doing something. Somebody had stirred the pot. How many here, I just came here this morning to stir you up a little bit to realize this, that no matter what you're facing, no matter what situation that you're up against, you say, Tim, you don't know what I'm facing. I doubt as great as it may be, and great as it, whether it's physical or otherwise, facing 300,000 soldiers who don't like you and would as soon annihilate you and being outnumbered is pretty bad odds. But a person who dared to believe God and trust his expectations in the Lord brought about a great change. You know, there's a story Jim Collins talks about in his book, From Good to Great, and he talks about leaders that use the mirror challenge or the mirror and the window uh, as gauges on what kind of leaders they are and what kind of people they are. And he basically says that if they look in the mirror and they just see, they see themselves for who they are, but they look out the window and they see the great possibilities and the greatness in other people that often are way more effective and more significant than the ones who look in the mirror when they are successful and see how great they are and don't see out the window or see anybody else other than themselves. But I, I would say to you this morning, we could take that and apply that to us this morning to take a mirror test and a window test that we need to take a look in the mirror from time to time and get honest with ourselves about where we are. Don't be ashamed if you're in the Saul camp this morning. Just ask God to help you move into Jonathan's camp this morning. Amen? Don't be, a, don't, don't be afraid or feel defeated and demoralized if you've been waiting around for something to happen, which, by the way, even Jonathan going in faith wasn't a way that he could manipulate an outcome. He could just act in faith. And I want to I offer this to you as well, and getting close to closing here this morning, is that no act of faith is wasted. Well, I tried that, but I didn't get healed. Or I tried, did this, and I, that didn't happen. Well, listen to what you're saying. In your mind, basically, it's either or. Faith is an everyday thing, every occurrence thing. It's not event-based. It's every step-based. So as you learn to step and walk by faith, no temporary-looking defeat is an absolute defeat. Because as a child of God, ultimate victory is promised you by Christ because the champion of your faith has been proven through suffering. So he has already been through the suffering that you and I have faced or ever will face so we can trust that Jesus is going, being the captain of our salvation, is able to send us into the fray of whatever it is that we're facing, not unarmed but absolute with confidence that he, go, he has gone before us, he's behind us, and that he's going to see you through whatever happens through victory unto victory. Amen? Lastly, 
there was, he was, and I'm going to skim this, there was expectation and realization. After they had won the battle, and after there was all this happening, Jonathan didn't realize this, but his dad had put a curse on the inner army, and they told them, if you don't, you know, we're not eating until we win. Great idea, right? We're not going to eat. We're going to be weak, and we're going to get ourselves as weak as possible, because if we're weak, then God will love us enough and feel sorry for us enough that he will do something. I'm going to tell you, I can say that because I've been weak. And I've been weak more than once. And I know what weak is. And I know what weak feels like. And I know what vulnerable feels like. I know what shattered feels like. But I want to tell you, even in that situation, God was, saying, God, God was moving through the Jonathan who came in. And even though he hadn't eaten, his, he was hungry too. He came in and he saw some honey when he was with his father's troops. And he eats the honey. And they said, you know what? You're busted, man. You're busted because your dad said nobody's supposed to do that, and he said there's a curse. And back then, when you said there was a curse, that was a big deal. It wasn't superstitious. It meant you're going to die. If they found out you did what King said <laughs> you're not supposed to do, you're going to die. It meant, it meant, you know, I don't want you to do this. So, so as, he, as he heard that, he said, this is crazy. He said, if, they, if you guys had been eaten already, how many of these guys would we have run over by now? How much more would we have done from God by now? Let me tell you what. When we experience the setbacks and pains of life that come against our expectations of God's power and grace, there is a temptation to shrink back. There's a temptation to go inside or to pull back or to pull away, and it's very real. And it's very disconcerting and distressing. But my friend, when you feel like pulling back, press forward. Grab hold of the reality that God is not saying you're cursed if you keep trying to do this. He's saying you're blessed if you stand on what is true because God will not fail you if it's just in a moment of strength. I'm going to tell you, I love thriving. When you feel like you can run through a troop and run over a wall, I felt that way too. I'm sure you have too. But I tell you what, I felt like I need to find a mouse hole so nobody can find me too. God knows how to find you where you are, lift you up and say, let's get into the realization of victory. And that is this. He said, man, eat the honey. What's the honey? Those guys that lived in fear camp so long and scaredy cat camp so long, they were only in prevention mode. They were only in preservation mode. They knew, some, they were hoping something would happen. Assumption is still there in hope. But they were doing nothing. But here Jonathan had stepped out into a different place, and he was eating the honey. I want to challenge you this morning, as we get ready to pray, to eat the honey. Eat the sweet promises in your bitter circumstances. Eat the sweet honey when you've got an enemy breathing down your neck and you think is going to overtake you. Eat the honey. Just like Popeye eating his spinach. When you take hold of that spiritual reality that is the word of God, Man, I don't care. You know what? I love, there's a verse in Isaiah that Isaiah talks about in chapter 50, and he says, let my adversary come near. I love it. Something, when I hear that, just gets down to me and goes, yeah. <laughs> Something to me says, let's do it. He says, let my adversary come near. It is the Lord who justifies me. If I am face to face, if the enemy got through all the preventions I thought would keep the evil out or the prevention out, if it got past that gape and like David said in one psalm, the waters have gone washed over into my soul. It's got personal and it got real. He says, I got news for you, man. Just like Isaiah said in that chapter, he said, let him come near. It's the Lord who justifies me. And that word 
that Isaiah used in that passage where he says, let him come near. Oh, this is really cool. It's the same word that Job used when he was talking about the scales of the alligator. How tight they are. How close. Proximity. Right up one against another. You can see they overlap. They're just tight. Hard to penetrate with simple weapons. No matter how tight in nestled the conflict gets. No matter how skin on skin it gets. No matter how mind and psychological it gets. No matter where it comes. Just Find someone or some way to partner with the truth that God will not fail what he has promised. My friend, something awesome is getting ready to happen. Expectations are not quenched on the eve of your conflicts and at the moment of your conflicts or even in the middle. But expectations are realized when we understand that when God be for you, who? Who? I don't see you can be against you. Doesn't mean you don't feel it. Don't mean it don't hurt. Don't mean you don't fight the sadness. Don't mean you don't fight the challenges, the addictions. Don't mean, but it means this. If God be for you, who is going to step up against you? They're going to fall. Because when God justifies and I'm walking in that justification and I'm walking in that victory, they're going to fall. That thing's going to fall. I'm not talking about hurting people. I'm talking about the lies that the enemy uses off the tongues of some people and in your own mind and in your own heart, they're going to fall. If you'll just partner with what God says, heart and soul, just tell God this morning, God, I don't see out from this situation, but I'm going to tell you this, heart and soul, I'm with what you said about me. I'm with what you've done for me. Man, get ready because something Epic in your expectations is getting ready to happen. Greater expectations this morning. Let's stand to our feet.